Well, hello, everybody. Y'all doing good? Am I turned on? Okay, I can't tell. Getting deaf. Um, again, the church is getting better and better. There's more people sitting in front of the pastor. Uh, if you're new here, we have a problem. Everybody likes to sit all over there and leave me up here all by myself. And uh, we're getting over it, and it's a good thing. Anyhow, I hope you're doing really, really well. Uh, Financial Peace University has really uh, done a lot to change uh, some families. You know, the number one cause of divorce in the United States is debt. And uh, if we can get beyond that, uh, we, we, we start to make life a whole, whole, whole lot easier. Somebody got to me when I was very young. And uh, I have twice in my life had debt in terms of car payments, twice. And uh, I've had mortgages. But other than that, I carry credit cards. I use them all the time. But I get the airline miles and pay them off, you know. I, I, we just decided we were going to struggle when we were young and not have debt. We were going to do everything on a cash basis. And now we're old. And it's really paying off. I, 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 it's just so nice to not carry that load. But, um, and, and, and it's, uh, it, it, I, I just can't tell you the difference, the freedom that you feel when you don't have this sort of thing hanging over your head. And it's never too late. It's never too late. I wrote a book called Your Money. Uh, and, and, and I got some pretty cool tools in there about how to manage your way out of debt. Some some simple little tricks. And this guy, Dave Ramsey, has got a bunch of them. And so I just want to underscore that. I want to remind you also, um, there's a deal outside as you walk out. You'll see a big graphic, and it says we need eyeglasses. Uh, we're sending some people to Africa in a few weeks. And uh, we have, a, we have, we could still use prescription glasses. If you've got old prescription glasses laying around, you bring them in. But we, what we're after right now is 1,600 pair of those little cheap readers in all different strengths. And so, uh, you know, to me, Price Busters is the place. And uh, when we do this, we usually buy them out. Uh, after that, there's, there's Ross's. After that, there's Costco. Uh, so you can, you can do that. And if we all pitch in, uh, I, I just, you know, every time I, I, I think about this, I always think about my grandchildren. I, I remember uh, being in California at a business meeting when my first grandchild was born. And... Uh, I, I, uh, I, I couldn't get there. And when I got there, I, I got a picture. Uh, I mean, I saw the baby and everything, but she was asleep. And then I got a picture of her. And so I'm carrying around a picture just showing everybody. It was a cool thing. But to think that you could be 40 years old, 42 years old, and all the problem is is you started to get farsighted. And you could not see the face of your grandchild. And somebody puts a $2 pair of glasses over your nose. And you're able to see that child for the first time. What would it do for you? Or to read the Bible, to, to get closer to the Lord, just to, to you know, watch TV. You know, it, I don't know they got TV where we're going. But um, <laughs> anyway, you get the picture. So just be thinking about those things. We're in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. We're just working our way through 2 Corinthians. Uh, tonight we're talking about uh, the power of repentance. And I, you know, I, when I approach a, a sermon like tonight, I, I'm always kind of, uh, especially here on, on, on Saturday night, uh, some of you guys have been walking with the Lord so long, and, you know, there's this process that the Bible calls uh, sanctification. You know, that, that everybody say that word, sanctification. Sanctification. That means that God is in a process 
of refining your life and taking the garbage out of your life, the garbage that we call sin. When the Bible uses the word sin, it actually isn't talking about bad things you do. It's talking about an attitude toward God that's basically agnostic. I mean, you may know there's a God, you may believe in God, but you're basically what an agnostic says is, I, I don't know if there is, I don't know if there isn't. But sometimes we know there is a God, but we act like we don't know if there is or there isn't. I'm just going to run the show myself. And the Bible says in one place that all we like sheep have wandered away from the shepherd. We've each one gone his own way. In the 70s, we used to say it this way, doing your own thing, man. And, and, and instead of coming to God and saying, what's your plan for my life? And I'm not talking about being a missionary here. I, I'm talking about how do you treat your spouse? How do you train up your children? How do you manage money in your household? Are, are, are you perpetually in want because you can't get off of some buying habits that you have that you, you, you can't afford necessities because you've been spending it on so, you know, those kinds of things? God wants to get to us. Are, 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 are you struggling because, you know, you, you started out, you know, drinking wine over dinner and, and, and now you crawled into a bottle and you can't get out of the thing? You know, God wants to sanctify us. And I, I like to think of it this way. Like, he likes to iron the wrinkles out of your life. And, and, and repentance is a major, major tool here. Now, as we get into this, I, I, I got to keep giving you background because I mean, one of the reasons that, you know, I... I, I grew up in church, right? I was five years old when I accepted the Lord, and, and I, I, I knew what was going on. They explained sin to me, and I knew that I, you know, there was stuff wrong, and, and, and so it took. But then for the next, I don't know how many years, I, I kind of lived a, a double life, you know, with my family and at church. I was a good kid. At school, I was something else, and, you know, all that whole thing went on, and, and, um, and, and, and then everything got right with me and the Lord, experientially. And, and I've seen miracles in my life when I was a very young boy. My, my baby sister got polio. And uh, her leg was shriveling up. You could see it by the day. And um, my parents were brand new Christians. Uh, and myself, I'm a little boy. They got me there, and we just gathered around and we prayed. I heard a message today at the E&I conference about we don't need to wait until we've gone. You know, it's good to get schooling. We do a lot of training here about prayer. But you don't need a whole lot of it. What you need to do is open your mouth and ask God to heal. And as a little kid, I saw this incredible miracle. And my sister today, uh, one of her legs is a little smaller than the other. And it's kind of like God left us a, a little reminder uh, for our family of this is what he did. And so my, my life with God was a, a very good life. And and I went to Bible school and became a pastor and all that. And, and, and then I, I, I started at about age 25, 27 maybe. I started looking at what I believed and going, do I, do I really believe what I believe? You know, I mean, is this, does this hold water or, or is this just something that I was taught and I, and I was so brainwashed as a child that I've just sort of sucked it in and, or do I really believe this stuff? And so... I went to work, and I, and I started, you know, I'm kind of a reading freak anyway, and, and so I started looking at the resurrection. I am absolutely convinced that you can take the three, there's only three arguments that the whole world in, in 2,000 years has ever come up with against the resurrection, and you can just pick them apart in five minutes. I, I mean, there's just nothing to them. Uh, but one of, one of the things that, you know, you remember the Da Vinci Code? And it, and it, and it gives us this whole stuff about, 
all these all these other gospels that were suppressed by the church and 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 all that and well, they weren't suppressed by the church. There were other gospels. There is a gospel of Judas. There is a gospel of Thomas. And 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 some of them are really stupid, and you read them. Others of them uh, might even be fairly accurate history. But here's how we got our Bible: is that most of I mean the, the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, um, are are written by people as biographies of Jesus. And um, and Matthew was with Jesus. Uh, Mark was living in Jerusalem at the time, would have known a lot of stuff about Jesus. Luke was probably nowhere around. Uh, Luke researched, he says in Luke, that he researched and he did got all these eyewitness accounts and he put this thing together. So you, O lover of God, because that's what it's, it's written to somebody called Theophilus, and we think it just means people who love God. So you would know and, and could understand the things about Jesus. And so there's that. But then there's the rest of the New Testament, what we call the epistles, uh, which means letters of Paul to the churches or Peter to the church in general or of James to the church. And when, when you read the epistles, and then there, there, there's like the you know, a, a epistle of Thomas, the epistle of, of, of Judas, there's, there's all that. What, why weren't they there and these are? And what, what, the way we got this is that the Christians backed into this. Paul wrote four letters to the Corinthian church to correct problems that are going on in the church, and we have two of them today. Uh, we, what we believe is that we actually have number two and number four, and we call number two 1 Corinthians and number four 2 Corinthians because we don't have the other two, but there's a reason that we don't have the other two, and the reason is that people latched on to these two letters and said, God's talking to us through these letters. And about 280 years later, a bunch of people got together and said, let's take the documents that we have that we believe God's been talking to us through and let's assemble them together in a unit. And we call that unit the New Testament. Am I making sense? So it's not like, well, let's exclude the Gospel of Thomas. It's like, well, they read it and either, and I mean, some of these really are really, if you read them, you would go, this is stupidity. This has nothing to do with Christianity. But some of them might have actually been valid letters but they weren't, nobody ever, ever thought that God was talking to us through these letters. Am I making sense? And so when I began to study all this stuff, one of the things that, that really got to me uh, about the validity of Christianity is that when you read stuff like 2 Corinthians, it's, it's all chopped up. Tonight what we're going to read is kind of weird. In, that, in, in one sentence he's talking about himself, then he's talking about them. And then maybe he's talking about us, and then he goes back to talking about them some more. And, and, and it's kind of like real life. Because if I was going to sit down and write some scriptures, man, I am, you know, I, I write books. I've written six or seven books. I, I finished a book two weeks ago, the first draft, and I let it sit for a while and incubate, and now I'm in there and I'm refining it. And I will do it 15 times before anybody ever, ever sees the book besides me. And it'll, it'll, it'll be sweet, I promise you. It may not be good, but it'll be sweet. It'll have balance to it. It'll work. Okay. If I was writing some scriptures, I would write them that way. If I was writing a letter to somebody, and I was kind of hosed off at them, I might be going, hey, you guys, wise up here, and... You know, and stop saying these things about me. And besides that, this is the way I have lived my life. And, 
And, and, and besides that, you're proof of the way that I live my life because look at the good things that God did in your life. And that's exactly what 2 Corinthians is all about. And so as I looked at, at the, at the, at the, at the kind of flawed nature of the writings, not flawed truth, the flawed nature of the writings, and you can see God's truth coming through the flawed nature of the writings. I'm going, this is how it works, man. The, the Holy Spirit breathes on an individual while he's communicating something, and there's stuff that sticks in people's hearts and lives. You know, I am so used to, as a pastor, you know, I, I get up here and I'm tired tonight and I'm not feeling really good. Um, I, I, I just found out that a, a good friend passed away. Uh, you guys all know Bobby, the, the, the big Hawaiian guy that was in a wheelchair. Uh, we baptized about two, three months ago. Uh, he went to be with the Lord today. And, um, and, and, and he was a close friend of my wife, had been since, almost since we moved here. He was her tennis coach when, when we first moved here. And, and we're so happy with what we've seen God do in his life. And, and I'm kind of grieving over that, you know. It, it, it's kind of weird. And, and, and so, and quite honestly, what I'm saying to you right now, I never even planned to say. It's not in the notes. The notes, I mean, we'll get to the sermon in about five minutes from now. <laughs> See, but this is the way life is. Life is not all cute and perfect and well-balanced and put together. Life is stuff coming at you. But I am so used to, over the years, standing at the back door of church, because I always like to try to greet people. I mean, my goal would be to learn everybody's name in the whole church, and I, I'm not very good at that, but I, I work at it and really try, you know. And, but I, and, and I have people come by and go, oh, Pastor, when you said this tonight, oh, it just touched me. And sometimes it's like, whoa, wow, that's good. You know, I'm good. <laughs> There's other times when I go, when I said what? When I said what? Because I never said that. The Holy Spirit said that. I'm up here rattling on. You know, I've worked. I've prepared stuff. I'm doing my thing. And God sort of, between my mouth and your ears, twisted something and made it fit right into your heart, right where it needed to fit. Am I making sense? And see, this is the nature of Scripture. This is the nature of Scripture. So as, as, that God takes a, 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 an ordinary human being who's kind of mad, who's kind of got his feelings hurt because his friends, he helped start, he helped, he started this church, and he took a lot of persecution for it, and several years have gone by. He left, and he's, he's out because he's a missionary evangelist, he's an apostle, he's not a pastor, and he keeps traveling, and now all these people have sort of sucked up to some glitzy guys who've come through town and sort of captivated their attention, and they've turned against Paul. And not only that, we know from the, remember, the, the second letter that's really, that we call the first letter, you know, that thing, we know there that they turn against each other. And there's all kind of weird stuff going on in the church, and so he's having to write this correctional stuff and yet as you read it it's powerful you read it and it changes your life and you go oh man this 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 is me you know he was saying to them something about some stupid thing they were doing but the words that are there apply to my life whoa they're good stuff and so that's kind of what we have tonight is that good i like to every so often just kind of let you see the background of what we have because i think it strengthens your Christianity uh, to really, really understand that. So tonight, we're talking about the power of repentance. And 
Uh, just to get started, the word repent means to turn around. Literally, I am going to repent in front of you right now. Done. It literally means to do a 180. You just you turn around. Now, uh, quite often it involves talking about it, uh, maybe apologizing to somebody, asking somebody's forgiveness, uh, praying about it, whatever. But the basic action is that you're going this way, and now you're going the other way. You have made a 180. That's repentance, and that's all it is. So, you, I, I, what I want to do is I want to take two really uh, potentially religious words and make them irreligious to you. I would like you to think of the word repent and think of a kid on a skateboard going one way and he, and he whips it around and does a 180. So it doesn't feel like religion, which is like some heavy, nasty thing, but that God would like us to repent of behaviors that are destructive in our life and just turn around and go another direction. Am I making sense? And the other one is that word I taught you earlier, sanctification. Sanctification. Doesn't that sound holy? <laughs> Actually, that's what it means. It's the same word in, 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 the, in the original language, because the book, New Testament was written in Greek. It gives us the word saint or gives us the word holy. And it's the process of becoming holy. It's the process of becoming a saint. Did you know that the Bible says that if you're in Christ, you are a saint? You know, the Catholic Church has these different individuals that they have nominated for sainthood. And Mother Teresa certainly deserves to be called a saint. But if I read my Bible right, so do you. If you're in Christ, then you are a saint. Now, here's the problem. is, is You've got to get sanctified. Sanctified? Sanctified? But the picture I want you to see is of an iron and an ironing board. You've got to get the, the wrinkles ironed out of your life. And, and if you can sort of see it that way, then you don't have to see it with a whole bunch of Hail Marys and Our Fathers and, and you know, beating yourself up and feeling... It's just, God, I just want to go with the flow here with you. If sin is, all oh, we like sheep walked away, well, I want to come back. That's repenting. And, and as I walk with you, I want you to iron wrinkles out of my life, and that's working. Things are going to... Am I making sense? Well, so now let's take a look at the text. And this is going to be short because... It's a fairly short passage, and, and it's pretty uh, uh, straightforward. Verse 1 of 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Because we have these promises, what promises God's made us in the Bible, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit. How do you do that? You start out by repenting. You start out by going to the Lord and saying, I don't like this stuff. Help me. You know, the, 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 the first sign that you're a Christian for most people, I mean, first, I've watched people, the first sign that they were a Christian is they were smack out loaded on heroin and suddenly they were stone sober. Boom! That twice in my whole life. And I'm 67. Twice I've seen that happen. But I, I, I did see it happen. But for most people, the first sign that you are really something happened inside of you when you prayed and asked Jesus in your life is you're going, oh my gosh. Oh, I... I, 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 I what you loved yesterday now holds no enticement toward you, but you're caught in it. You're still entangled in it. It still owns you, and you would like to be free of it. And so what is that? Well, that's the Holy Spirit working in your heart, changing you. And God, remember we sang this song about 
I can't even remember the rest of the words, but from the inside out. God wants to work in your life from the inside out. He starts with the desires of your heart. And you're going, God, change me. I don't want to be this way anymore. And you're not changed. And I've watched people struggle sometimes for a long time. Sometimes even years. Usually not. Usually a lot shorter. But the first sign that of, 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 of real good spiritual activity going on in your life is that God puts a repentant heart in you. I don't want to be that way anymore. I want to be like this. Please, Lord, begin to change me. And then God starts ironing, ironing those. Uh, see, I'm all messed up tonight. And starts answering those prayers, ironing out the wrinkles in your life. And so he says, because of these promises, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit. And that begins with us praying. And let us work toward complete holiness because we fear God. Let us work. You notice it says toward complete holiness. I don't think you're ever going to achieve complete holiness, but you work toward it. And it says because you fear God. Because you know that if God loves you, uh, what you sow you're going to reap. Uh, there's going to be consequences. Uh, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews that whom the Lord loves, He disciplines. Well, I don't want that. I don't want that at all. I want to live a life that doesn't require the Lord's discipline in my life. I want to be, I want to go with the shepherd where the shepherd's trying to lead me. Am I getting there? And so we cleanse ourselves. We work toward complete holiness because we fear God. And, and it really does mean fear God. You, you fear discipline. Uh, the way that I feared my father. You know, my, I grew up in the days when people still spank kids. You know, today they get a time out. It's like, oh, that would be nice. Uh, you, and, 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 you know, my dad was not an abusive guy or anything like that, but, you know, he would spank us with a, with a, we had, we had a thing called a weeping willow tree in our yard. And it has thin little branches that just look pretty when they blow in the breeze. But when the breeze is, is blown because your dad's got fast wrists, uh, it's not good. <laughs> Not good at all. I feared my dad, but I knew he loved me. I feared God, but I know he loves me. And so it goes on and says, let us work toward complete holiness because we fear God. Please open your hearts to us. Now, see, here's where it gets kind of cobbed up. Uh, you, you know, Work toward complete holiness because you fear God, he's telling them. And then he says, open your hearts to us. And this, and this tells me, oh, this is real stuff. This isn't some guy writing a poem. This is a guy writing a letter, and one minute he's talking to them about God, and then, and then you know, his grammar probably is all goofed up, and he goes, and, and open your hearts to us. We didn't do anything wrong to anyone or lead anyone astray or took advantage of anyone. I'm not saying this to condemn you. I've said before that you're in our hearts, and we live or die together with you. I have the highest confidence in you, and I take great pride in you. You've greatly encouraged me and made me happy despite all of our troubles. And so here's Paul just kind of writing stuff, you know, and yet as he writes, the Holy Spirit speaks to us. But I want to talk about this business of complete holiness and working toward complete holiness. And um, I, I, I have a, a, an example. I have a little video we're going to show you in just a minute. It's about a guy named Onojiro uh, in Japan. And he is considered to be the best sushi chef in the world. And he has a restaurant, and the restaurant has got Michelin three-star quality. I mean, it is top-of-the-line stuff. And uh, the truth is, if you and I went there and ate for $400 a plate and waited seven months to get in, uh, we probably would think, 
oh, it's a little bit better than Kozo Sushi down the street here. Uh, because we couldn't tell the difference. But there are people who can tell the difference. And uh, here's a man that has dedicated himself to complete perfection in terms of making sushi. And I want you to watch the video because it will have implications to us working toward complete holiness. Take a look at this. で、自分たちでも例えばお寿司を作ってやってる。だけどまだあるんだろう、まだあるんだろうって見るわけでしょ。ということはまだ上に何かがあるってこと。そこまで頂上まで行けば完璧かもわかんないけど、じゃあこの頂上はどこかっていうとわかんないわけですよ。今に仕事してて。やめる。それ自分が一生懸命やってるところをやめる。水商売が嫌だなぁなんて思ったこと一回もないです。ただこれをもう惚れて惚れて一生懸命でこれをやって少しでも上、少しでも上っていう風に考えて現在まで来ています
he wrote a book called Stephen King on writing. And he, and, he, and, he, and he pointed something out that helped me so much. He said, nobody in the world is going to read this trash but you. <laughs> and it, it set me free. It, it set me free. He, and, and, he, and he goes on and basically, there's the way I put it. He used their words. I, I, I just vomit the stuff into the computer. You know, get it there. And, and, and then after you edit it a whole bunch of times. You know, I'll, I'll go through, literally go through a book 15 times. Force myself to go through 15 times. And the first time, I change a lot. Next time, I change less. The 15th time, I might change three words. I've read through the whole book, and, and I'm down to that. And, and, and I'll never, ever think I achieved perfection. But I want you to know, as much as I hate writing, I literally, you're sitting there going, nobody wants to read. This is stupid. Uh, your ideas don't make sense. There's a guy down the road that wrote a book that's way better than yours about the very same thing. You, why are you even doing this? You know, and, and I, I've just come through this. It's like horrible but now I'm in the fun part it's fun and I think this business of pursuing holiness uh, as you get into it it's fun it's exciting to know the Lord better day by day by day am I making sense all ten of you are so excited that is really good uh, I'm going to skip some of this because I've been talking too much or we're going to be here all night I got to move with the clock here Verse 5, he says, when we arrived in Macedonia, uh, uh, which is a little ways off from where they are in Greece, uh, he said, there was no rest for us. Um, we feared conflict from every direction, with battles on the outside and fear on the inside. Uh, Macedonia is where Philippi is, and uh, we, we know that when Paul went to Philippi and preached the gospel, uh, he was immediately put in jail, and he was beaten, and uh, some really terrible things happened. He says, when we arrived in Macedonia, there's no rest for us. We face conflict from every direction with battles on the outside, fear on the inside. But God who encourages those who are discouraged encouraged us by the arrival of Titus. His presence was a joy, but so was the news he brought of the encouragement he received from you. When he told us how much you longed to see me and how sorry you are for what happened, and how loyal you are to me, I was filled with joy. And so, he, what, what's he talking about? Is Remember I told you there's four letters to the Corinthians? And, and, and we think that number two is actually number is what we call number one, and number four is what we call number two. And, and so, uh, he, he had written a previous letter, and he wrote what we call First Corinthians, and then he'll refer to it here, the painful letter. And we don't know what the heck's in that painful letter, but we know the early church didn't believe it belonged in Scripture. The early Christians believed this is instruction for the people in Corinth who are acting up. It's not for the people in Macedonia, so they didn't pass it around, so it never made it into our Bible. We're we there with that? And so now he's writing this one, and he's going, the stuff I wrote you before had an effect, and it's made a change. And when Titus came and found us, and much trouble as we're in, much pain as we're going through physically, and much persecution is going our way. When Titus came and told us about the way that your heart is and the changes that are going on, not, no, no, it's going on, not have happened, right? Uh, it's process. As, as Titus told us about the changes that are going on and about your loyalty to us and about you know, all these things, it brought us great joy. In the midst of horrible stuff, it brought great joy to us. And, and so this is really what repentance does, is it, it just changes 
life situations and it brings the glory of God in situations. Now watch, verse 8. I am not sorry that I sent that severe letter to you, the one that they call the painful letter. I'm not sorry that I sent you 3 Corinthians that we don't have. Okay? I'm not sorry about that. Though I was sorry at first, for I know it was painful to you for a little while. See, sometimes uh, when things are really wrong, they got to get bust up a little bit before they can get right. And it hurt you that I wrote this. But he goes in verse 9, Now I'm glad I sent it, not because it hurt you. It did hurt them. He goes, not because it hurt you. You know, my dad used to always, you know, get the willow switch out the instrument of pain and then give us this little speech, son, this hurts me more than it hurts you. And, you know, and I used to go, yada, 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 yada. (laughs) And then I had kids of my own. And it was like, you know, when it came to disciplining them, we hated it. But we did it. We did it because we loved them. And Paul's going, I, I, I'm, I'm glad I sent the letter. I know it hurt you, but I'm glad I sent it, not because it hurt you, but because the pain caused you to repent. The pain was real, and it caused you to repent and change your ways. See, it's, repentance is not just some spiritual, ethereal thing. You actually changed your behaviors. And so you changed your ways. It was the kind of sorrow God wants His people to have so that you are not harmed by us in any way. The discipline of the letter didn't harm you. It hurt you, but it didn't harm you. It's, it, it brought about a godly sorrow that leads to repentance, something that's healthy, something that's really good, and, and, and you weren't harmed by us. Verse 10, the kind of sorrow God wants us, all of us, to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. The kind of sorrow God wants us to experience. Now see, again, here's why this letter ended up in the canon of the New Testament because this is something God wants all, all of us to experience. God wants us all to experience the kind of sorrow that over our sins. They go, this is hurting me. This is hurting those people around me. This is hurting somebody else. I, I, this is, and, and, it, and it's killing me that it's hurting them. And I don't want that anymore in my life. And, and, when, and that re- leads to changed behavior. And so it says, the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin results in salvation. The word salvation meaning are, are being rescued, are being healed, are being set free. And he says there is no regret for that kind of sorrow. And then he says this, but worldly sorrow which lacks repentance results in spiritual death. Worldly sorrow which lacks repentance results in spiritual death. I, I heard a man talk this week. I, I was at this conference all week. And I, I heard a man talk and he told about his parents. That he, 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 he's a He's a New Yorker who, who, who speaks like an Aussie. Good on you, Mike. He was born in Brooklyn. His parents were alcoholics who owned a bar. Not a real good combination. When he was eight years old, they moved to Sydney, Australia to get out of the bar business to get away from the alcohol. They flew across the United States. They stopped in Hawaii on the way and they, they committed to their children, we are not going to drink ever again before they got on an airplane. When they got to Hawaii, the whole family was thrown off the plane because the parents were so drunk. This little eight-year-old boy 
they actually came in the cabin before they landed here and said, we're going to have to put your whole family off the plane. And, and as an eight-year-old, he's thinking, are they going to give me a parachute? Because he actually he didn't understand they were going to land first. And he, he was terrified. And he said that he, he, he lived this horrible life of his parents over and over and over, apologizing, promising, doing whatever. And then him saying, I, I would go home and not know if there's going to be walls smeared with blood because my dad was beaten up on my mother so much. Horrible. And eventually, his parents, both of them, gave their hearts to the Lord. And this man's father, as, as an mi older middle-aged guy, uh, began to set up Christian AA chapters all across the whole nation of Australia. And uh, it, just, it just transformed life. Transformed life. See, godly sorrow leads to godly repentance, which changes people from the inside to the outside. And that's what we're after. Am I making sense? Well, it goes on and talks about the power of repentance a little more in verse 11. It says, just see what this godly sorrow produced in you. Such earnestness. Such concern to clear yourselves. Such indignation. Indignation at your own behavior. Such alarm. Alarm at your own behavior. Such longing to see me. They wanted to make things right with Paul, who they had made things wrong with. Such zeal. Such a readiness, readiness to punish wrong. Remember the problem they had? The guy was sleeping with his father's wife and they were sort of endorsing it. And, and in 1 Corinthians, he wrote to them and said, straighten this one up. And in 2 Corinthians, he writes and says, you straighten it up and I'll go light on the guy because he repented. He turned around and, and so embraced him back. And, and, he, and so he, he's, he's telling them how good it was that they were willing to punish wrong. He says, you showed that you have done everything necessary to make things right. My purpose then was not to write about who did the wrong or who was wronged. I wrote you so that in the sight of God you could see yourselves, for yourselves how loyal you are to us. In other words, I didn't write and, and try to figure out who did every little thing. I am not interested in that. What I wrote to do was to get relationships restored. I wanted you to, to come back into, he uses the word loyalty here, but into relationship with us. Verse 13. We have been greatly encouraged by this. In addition to our own encouragement, we were especially delighted to see how happy Titus was about the way all of you welcomed him and set his mind at ease. So Titus must have been a stranger to them, who was a friend of Paul, who went to them with the painful letter, because they had to hand carry them. And, and, and then when they all, they, they all got things right, they were nice to Titus. And Titus was blessed in the process. See, there's a fallout when we repent. There's, uh, other people's lives are changed because our lives are changed. Verse 14, I had told him, Titus, how proud I was of you, and you didn't disappoint me. I've always told you the truth, and now my boasting to Titus has proved true. And now he cares for you more than ever when he remembers the way you all obeyed and welcomed him in with such fear and deep respect. I am very happy because... I have complete confidence in you. You went and squared things up, and I have complete confidence in you. Is this good? Here's what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that they achieve complete holiness. It means that they are in the process actively engaged. And Paul says, I have complete confidence in you because of that. 
Because I'm going to tell you that the day that you achieve complete holiness is three days before I'm going to do your funeral. Should I say that again? The day that you achieve complete holiness is three or four days or a week or whatever before I do your funeral. Our friend Bobby Kalanui achieved complete holiness this afternoon about 2 o'clock. He went to heaven. And that's when you're going to achieve complete holiness. The rest of the time, uh, you're, you're going to be like the Chukujin. You're going to be trying to get better and better and better and better and get to the top of the mountain, but you don't quite know where the top of the mountain is. You have confidence that if you went to that old man's restaurant, uh, that you would have a good experience that we saw in the video? Huh? Do you? I mean, guy got Michelin three stars. Uh, he's, he's working his brains out to, 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 to be the best that he could possibly be. Uh, I, 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 one time I, had, I went to Taiwan, and uh, there, these, these, these little tiny churches down there, but there's one man, one of these, I mean, the churches that I went to were, the people are kind of hurting. But there's one really rich guy that uh, has a big um, tuna packing plant. And, and, and he, he delivers very, very expensive. I mean, he has other stuff too. But, I mean, we, he gave us. I went to, I, I ate dinner at the restaurant. It was very good. And he gave us a kilogram that was worth $1,000 of sashimi. $1,000. And so we took it back to where we were staying. And, 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 and that night, somebody, uh, you know, we had dinner and, and they prepared it and everything. And I want you to know, it tasted pretty good. <laughs> I couldn't tell the difference. I, I mean, I, it, it, it was sashimi. I love sashimi. But it... it but $1,000 a kilo? No, I, I couldn't tell the difference. All, but there are people who could tell the difference. But I can tell you one thing. Just watching what I saw on that video, I, I, could, I could tell that if I went to that restaurant, I would come away a happy camper. Now, there might be some picky person who'd go, mm, you know, I don't know. But I'd be happy. I'd be happy. Paul's saying, I'm happy. You've made me happy. I have confidence in you. Why? Because... You are pursuing holiness. You are heading where God wants you to head. You're climbing the mountain. You're trying to become what God wants you to become. Is this good? I have a companion scripture, and um, I lost my computer thing, so I'll just quote it. It's Romans chapter 12, verse 2. And it says this. It says, don't be conformed. Well, here, let's look at it this way. It's on the screen. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. It starts from the inside out. From the inside out. Maybe we could end service with that inside out song again. Would that be okay? When we get up here to, to close off the service? Yeah, let's sing that song again. So, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you. You know, you'll learn to know God's process in your life. You know, some of us think God's will is an event. Someday this thing will happen to me. No, God's will is how you live your life every moment of every day. And, and he says, that which is good and pleasing and perfect. Here's the thing. If you really do this, 
you, you stop trying to be like everybody around you because peer pressure is really nasty. And you decide, I want to be holy. Uh, what, what holy really means is, I belong to the Lord. He's got ownership over this life. It, it doesn't mean religious. It doesn't mean sanctimonious. It doesn't mean judgmental toward other people. It means, I just God's got first grabs for my day, for my thought life, for the way that I treat people. God, God has ownership. And, and, and you, you come now, here's what will happen to you. You will become very unique. You will become you. You'll become all that God meant you to be. And that's different than he meant for the person sitting right next to you, as close as they may be to you. You'll become the person that God had always planned before you were born, when he knew you in your mother's womb. And, and God has this. And, and when we, so when we talk about holiness, what we're talking about is this process of God ironing the wrinkles out, putting the stuff in that he wants in, and making us into the people that he had designed for us to be in the first place. And I don't know about you, but I think that's a pretty good idea that we get there. Is this good? Well, let's pray. Lord, we come to you tonight and, and, and we thank you for the scriptures because in them we find the thoughts and the words of God. Lord, we know that uh, we wouldn't even be here if it wasn't for this guy, Paul. Uh, the, the whole world would be a drastically different place if it wasn't for a guy named Saul who grew up in southern Turkey who was out trying to kill Christians who met you and repented and then became the greatest spokesperson that his world ever knew and the greatest spokesperson in terms of changing society that the whole world has ever known. And we thank you, Lord, that that you saw fit to give us the written down words of these apostles and that we have their thoughts and, 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 and Lord, I thank you for the fact that they're, that they're not poetic and perfect. I thank you that this is the raw stuff of life and Paul's talking about his, his hurt feelings because these people sort of abandoned him and, and, and yet in the middle of all of it, he says these incredible things like that we would be uh, seeking complete holiness and that we would get there by repenting and, and, and that the cause, the, the outfall of that would become joy in the life of people that have been hurt, people around. Lord, thank you that we get to understand you through what we have in your word. And now, Lord, our prayer is this. Change me. Change me. Change me. Change me from the inside out. Change the way I think. Change my desires. Help me to become what you really wanted me to become all along. Lord, keep changing me until the day I come to meet you. Now keep your eyes closed. We're going to pray another little prayer. And this is a prayer of surrender. And most of the people in this room have already prayed this prayer and there's no reason to pray it again. Because if you prayed it once, it took. And it's a prayer that just says, God, I surrender. In my heart tonight, I'm choosing to turn around. I'm like the sheep walking away from the shepherd, and I decided that I want to walk where you're walking. That's it. It's as simple as that. But I want to lead you in prayer. And uh, I kind of think that when the preacher leads you in prayer, it probably gives you a little bit of confidence in what you prayed. And so... I want to put together a prayer and ask you to pray along with me. 
We all just did this. I prayed out loud. Everybody prayed around silently. But we all prayed together. And so I'm going to ask that you would pray with me silently, but just hitchhike on my words and pray with me. But I want to know that you're praying with me. I want you to have told one person that you're praying with me. People all around you got their eyes closed, but I'm watching. And so you've kind of declared yourself, I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. And, and if that's you and you want to pray with me, we're going to pray in about 25 seconds. Between now and then, I'm going to count to three and I want you to raise your hand, which tells me we're praying together. One, two, three. I see one man with his hand up. Anyone else? And join me in this prayer. God, I thank you that I'm sitting here. And I thank you that you've been working on me. And I just want to release everything to you tonight. Lord, I, I, I can't promise you to be good can't promise you to change my ways. I can promise you that I am repenting right now at this moment. And in my heart of hearts, the decision is there. I want to follow Jesus wherever that takes me, whatever that means. And I assume, Lord, that you will change me and that my behaviors will become different because my heart becomes different. Lord, come and redeem this life of mine. Restore it. Make me into the person that you always wanted me to be. But begin it from the inside out, Lord. In Jesus' name, I surrender to you. Amen. Good night.